in A.D. 1368, and I doubt any of us were alive back then, Zhu Yuanzhang founded the Ming Dynasty in China, and I'm so sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Within 100 years, construction began on what would become known as the Great Wall of China, and for the next three centuries, that wall expanded to 13,000 miles, included more than 25,000 towers, each of those towers protected by a permanent garrison. So what was the wall's purpose? It was built to prevent a large-scale Mongolian invasion. The Great Wall of China is a great example of walls that have been built throughout human history. The first massive wall-building project was thanks to the Roman Empire. The Romans developed some pretty sophisticated engineering techniques and allowed them and allowed many of their structures to remain largely intact. Some of them may even last beyond the 21st century. At first, the Romans built the walls primarily for defense. Those walls protected the cities for centuries, allowing the inhabitants to huddle behind them during invasions, even during hostile occupation. And then in 216 BC, the Carthaginian commander Hannibal was turned away from an attack on the city of Rome after he destroyed the Roman army at Cannae. The large imposing walls, they proved too much for him and his army to overcome. Not all walls are built for defense. Some walls are built to keep the citizens in. A case in point, the infamous Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall separated East Germany and West Germany for nearly 30 years. It became a symbol of the Iron Curtain that separated Western Europe and the Eastern Bloc during the Cold War. Ultimately, it was a barrier to progress and to a nation coming together. So at a critical point during the Cold War, then-President Ronald Reagan uttered those famous words that echoed throughout the decades. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And over those next few years, the shockwaves of Reagan's words reverberated. They became a rallying call. The wall fell. Its fall ultimately led to Germany reuniting on October 3, 1990. As important as walls can be, history has shown some walls simply need to fall. And often, all it takes is someone with a little bit of courage to make a little bit of noise. And we're going to hear a little bit about that right after this. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to LJ Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. I hope you had great church yesterday. If you were in service with your church family, I hope you were able to hear the Word of God taught and preached. You might have even heard this lesson, which is why this is a companion podcast. It is a companion to the lesson that is being taught or shared during Sunday school or small group. Coming out of the God's Word for Life, and today's episode stems from Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. And the lesson is entitled, Jericho. Joshua 6, verse 20, So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. I want you to picture the excitement as we have walked with Joshua and his children of Israel, as they have come from Egypt into the wilderness with Moses, and now they're with Joshua. They've come across the mighty, muddy, overflowing, flooded Jordan River, and now they pass over on dry ground. Many of them had not been born when their parents crossed the Red Sea after leaving Egypt. Some were only small children. They just had a vague memory of that miraculous Red Sea crossing. But this story was legendary. Imagine a grandfather gathering his grandchildren around to tell them how the walls of water stood on each side as he, their grandmother, and the children's parents 
walked through the sea on dry ground. His voice might have even growled a little bit as he mimicked the rumble of the waters crashing down on the Egyptian army hot on their trail. This new generation of Israelites had experienced their own dry ground miracle. God performed the miraculous and removed a great obstacle between them and the promised land. In fact, they still had 12 stones from the dry bed in the Jordan River, one from each tribe, which served as a testimony, a memorial to future generations that God worked a miracle for them. And it was exciting. But these energized people of promise were soon to discover there were two key principles of advancing into the promises of God. First, there are always battles. Always. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul described how the righteousness of God is revealed. It's revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just will live by faith, Romans 1 verse 17. A person of faith will be led from one situation to another, which requires faithful obedience to God in his righteous ways. The second principle of advancing into the promises of God is that God's methods and paths to victory are often different from our preferences. Some people have remarked, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. <laughs> if you would have interviewed Israel's joint chiefs, they would have probably told a Joshua, let's get some ladders, we'll climb over the walls, or let's start a fire and let's burn the walls, or let's get battering rams and let's just tear the walls down. Yeah, they're going to have to fight, but this is going to be conventional warfare, but not with God. God gave them an unconventional, God-designed battle plan that would lead them to a win, but this would require amazing amounts of faith to unmistakably prove God is in control, not us. First question, what are some mysterious ways you have seen God lead a person into greater arenas of faith? And how about you? In what ways has God challenged you unconventionally to greater faith? Between the Jordan and Jericho, Israel received signs that God was in control and God was blessing their faith and their sanctification, their process of being made holy. Word of Israel's successful crossing of the Jordan, it spread throughout Canaan. People heard, what? They crossed the Jordan when it was flooded, overflowing, and muddy, and mighty, and they crossed it? The kings of the cities were frightened. They lost courage because of that miracle. And Israel continued to live sanctified in the fifth chapter of Joshua by reinstituting this covenantal sign of circumcision, which had ceased during their wilderness wandering. And now they were in the promised land. They hadn't fully obtained this promise, but the blessing of obedience was becoming very clear. And they began to eat the fruit of the land. Forty years of manna as daily diet had finally come to an end. Obedience begets obedience. God's next plan on their journey into promise, it seemed strange, and yet they obeyed. They were learning to walk by faith. There would be setbacks and even failures, but that day would be one more God-sized step of faith God would call them to take. A variety of lifeless promises are buried on many Christians' walks of life. These lifeless promises are casualties of doubt. People doubt and hesitate to obey God's plan. Many followers of Jesus live frustrated and unfulfilled because they've never fully learned to trust and fully obey. They're looking for loopholes to submission, excuses for why they can't submit. Ah, I think it's going to cost too much. Ah, I think it's going to be too hard. We are way too unreasonable. And then they question the same question Satan asked Eve in the garden. Hath God really said? Every Sunday, 
Christians gather in churches to sing songs of praise and worship. Anthems of praise flow from the lips of believers, but sadly, we often sing these songs dishonestly. Not, not, not intentionally. I'm not attacking you. Jesus himself even quoted the prophet Isaiah when he declared, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart, eh, that's far from me. Matthew 15, verse 8. So how does this relate to the songs of worship, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you did. What about the beautiful chorus, I surrender You could drive a fire truck through that vibrato. The song is easy to sing, but do we mean it? I mean, all? Honestly. It's really probably, I surrender some. Or what about the song that I grew up listening to and learning when I was a, st- a student, a teenager? Lead me, Lord, I will follow. But do we really mean that? What if he leads us where we don't want to go? What if he tells us to do something we don't want to do? What if he tells us to say something we just don't want to say? Do we really mean what we sing? Well, when we purpose in our hearts to live what we say and sing with our mouths, we will experience the promises of God. But if we don't, we won't. It's really quite simple. Now, here's a question for all of you musical out there. What are some other songs we find easy to sing but find hard to live? That might be a fun activity to just go around the room if you're in small group and just ask that question. What song do you love to sing but not live? Interesting. Very interesting. Well, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, The meek will inherit the earth, and those who hunger for righteousness will be filled, and the merciful shall obtain mercy. The pure in heart shall see God. The peacemakers shall be called the children of God. Matthew 5, verses 5 through 10. Those are the Beatitudes, some of them. And that requires heartfelt, purposeful, wholehearted obedience. The correlation between integrity, honesty, purity, prayer, fasting, forgiveness, and receiving promises of God are crystal clear in his word. All of them are difficult. They require Job-like trust in God. Even if it kills us, we're still going to obey. But the promises are well worth the struggle. Influence with God and man, it's worth the struggle to maintain our integrity. Battling to stay pure in an impure world is worth the struggle. It's worth seeing and experiencing the fullness of God. Our generation desperately needs the miraculous in our day, in our world. And that's precipitated by prayer and fasting. And similarly, the forgiveness and the liberation that only come from being forgiven is priceless. So the next time you're in service in the sanctuary and all of a sudden you hear that familiar tune to I Surrender All or you hear a song like it, examine your heart. And decide not just to sing it, but to live it. Surrender all. Surrender all in honesty when it doesn't seem to be profitable to the bottom line of your business. Surrender all the passions of your dating or marriage relationship so you can be and you can remain pure. Surrender all when somebody wounds you and you want vengeance, but you choose to live clear of bitterness and you forsake bitterness and you cling to forgiveness. Complete obedience, even when we don't understand, brings the fullness of God's promise to direct our paths. As Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 so beautifully state, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 
God's plan was very clear about what they were to do to win the battle at Jericho. And you probably forgot we were talking about Jericho. The priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant around the city walls of Jericho, those formidable, double redoubtable city walls, one time per day for six days. Seven additional priests were to walk before the Ark, blowing seven ram's horns, while the rest of the people were to remain utterly, completely silent. Then on the seventh day, they were to encompass the city seven times. And on the seventh time, the people were supposed to shout when the priests blew the ram's horns. But why? Have you ever wondered? Why not just walk around one time for one day? Why why six times in six days and then seven on the seventh? You're going to have a lot more energy for the battle on the other side of those felled walls if you give them a little bit of a rest. Why, why do they have to walk around the wall at all? I mean, surely God could knock down the walls and spare them all that effort. Are we sure God even said to do that? The children of Israel could have asked a whole volume of questions. Our human nature to question God, it goes all the way back to the beginning when the tempter posited that question in the garden. Hath God said? So here's another question. Why is it important to obey God's commands even when they don't make sense to us? This new generation of Israelites was learning to trust God even if they didn't understand him. When they passed the Jordan on dry ground, they were discovering that obedience to God pays off even in the face of challenges. But another unspoken miracle happened at Jericho. There's no record of murmuring or questioning. And if you've ever led people for any length of time, that's pretty par for that course. A people whose history was rife with questioning and murmuring and complaining and, oh, we want to go back to Egypt. They had leeks and onions, which sounds disgusting. But nevertheless, they complained and murmured and questioned rather than just do what God commanded them to do. But rather, right there at Jericho, they stayed silent and they shouted only and exactly when instructed. That act of complete obedience yielded miraculous access to and momentum in the first major battle in the Promised Land. The wall fell flat. Husbands and wives, sons and daughters, boys and girls, children, teenagers, all of them marched with their lips clenched tightly to keep from making a sound. The urge to talk to each other was very real. Through those many days, doubtless some were tempted to just chit-chat just a little bit. Why are we doing this? Probably nagged some of the thoughts of some of them. But they strictly observed God's command to be silent and march. Then on the seventh day and the seventh trip around the wall, then after the seventh time on the seventh day, those shouts erupted like a volcano out of a cannon. The rumble of the stones blended with the chorus of the crowd as the stones cascaded one on top of the other. Shouts of obedience quickly transitioned to shouts of praise and then to war cries. And once again, obedience to God yielded the favor of God and divine intervention as God did what he promised he would do. He toppled the walls and the people went straight up over the walls into the city and they fought a victorious battle. Now Some say that's too good to be true. That could never happen. And and they're not the first. There have been skeptics of the Jericho story for years. In the 1950s, archaeologist Kathleen Kenyon concluded Jericho was destroyed 150 years before Israel invaded around 1400 B.C. And then many assumed the biblical account was just folklore, a convenient religious story, or something interesting to discuss in a Sunday school class. But many decades later, another archaeologist reviewed Ms. Kenyon's research. Bryant Wood of the University of Toronto revealed his finding in the March-April issue of the scholarly journal Biblical Archaeology Review. 
And he shared his findings of extensive ceramic remnants and carbon-14 dating, which contradicted Kenyon's dating when the city was destroyed. Additionally, large amounts of stored grain were found in the remains of the city, which indicated there was a relatively short siege of the city, like, I don't know, maybe seven days? But most significantly, he noted that collapsed mud bricks were found inside a lower retaining wall, which I didn't know what that meant, except the collapsed bricks apparently served as a ramp for the Israelites to go straight up into the city, just as described in the biblical narrative. And Wood concluded, and I quote, Here is impressive evidence that the walls of Jericho did indeed topple as the Bible records. End quote. Hey, I've got good news about the Bible. When archaeology and science and history confirm the Bible, they don't make it correct. They just confirm what we already know. The Bible is indeed the true, authentic, infallible Word of God. And God gave Israel the victory He promised. And they had to fight. But once again, God provided a miracle. He removed the obstacles. He took the walls out of the way that blocked that promise. Their complete obedience led to God's complete provision. And that divine principle of submission and obedience is still very well at work in the kingdom of God today. Another question. What commandments in Scripture require us to have great faith but are worth the great payoff? When we trust God enough to obey Him fully, He will do the miraculous. Walls that seem insurmountable, they can be leveled. Barricades blocking spiritual progress, they can be removed. Addictions and habits that abound and sentence God's children to be wilderness wanderers for years, they'll lose their grip. Demonic oppression, demonic possession, ah, that disappears when the heart is fully submitted to God. James, the brother of Jesus, provided a clear picture of the spiritual victory in James chapter 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. James 4, verses 7 through 8. Israel discovered this at the walls of Jericho, and we discovered at the walls that separate us from the promises of God. We must obey, but when we do, God will respond. Another question. Why does God respond so favorably to complete obedience? And on the heels of that question, we wrap this up. Once upon a time, a peasant farmer owned an ox. Ox was valuable to him, key to success. He needed the ox, but on a fateful day, that ox fell into an empty old well. The water had dried up, and the ox began moaning, distressed cries for help. So responding to his ox's plaintive cries, the peasant discovered this helpless, hopeless ox. He tried to rescue it, but he couldn't. He attempted hoisting the ox out with ropes and chains, but size and weight, just too much. He lowered a ladder, thinking the ox could climb out, but the ox, ever seen an ox climb a ladder? There's a good reason you have it. His many attempts to try to aid his farm friend, they were futile. And finally, with great sorrow, he gave up on the ox and decided he would mercifully put it out of its misery. He would just bury the ox by shoveling dirt into the well. And if the farmer regrettably heaved each pile of dirt under the well, the ox demonstrated his own will to live. As each shovel of lump of earth landed on the ox's back, the ox defiantly shook it off. And with the dust and the dirt and the debris that was meant to bury the ox, now under its feet, the ox began to climb up, out, pile by pile, step by step, rose higher, and the peasant farmer realized what his farm friend was doing. And so he continued to pile more and more dirt into the well. It was messy, 
and left them both in need of a good bath. But eventually the ox was able to just rise up and climb out what was used as an attempt to bury it. The ox transformed into a way to escape. At different points in life, we find ourselves in seemingly overwhelming circumstances. We're in the pit of despair. Sometimes we find ourselves there by random chance, and other times we dig the pit from our own poor choices. The walls of the pit might seem to be closing in, but we must remind ourselves God is for us and he will never leave us. And as the messiness of these circumstances piles on, we cannot lose hope. We must be dedicated and trust that God will give us victory because we serve a God who works in unconventional ways to turn trials into testimonies. He can transform our pain into a purpose for our life. Whether he helps us bring the walls down or he helps us rise above them, we must be faithful and trust in God. When God says, shout, shout. And when God says, be silent, be silent. If he says, go up, go up. Or like Israel entering the promised land, faith and obedience to God will bring us to the other side of the walls and will bring us right into his promises. I would like us to pray for God to help us to trust his word. No matter how many people are skeptical of his word, let's pray that God will help us to trust it and then that he will help us to obey it and to share it. No matter how many people are skeptical, let's obey completely what God has said. Dear Jesus, we love you. You are Lord. Whatever you say, we will do. We do indeed not only sing and say, but we will want to live it We will surrender all to you. God, whatever you're asking, we will say yes. Wherever you're leading, we will go. Whatever you're telling us to say, we will say it. Whatever you're telling us to do, we will do it. Help us today to trust your word, your written word, your preached word, which confirms your written word. I pray, God, you would minister today. I pray today you would help us to obey your word. No matter what you're telling us to do, we will trust you and help us to share it with others. Help us, Lord, to let them know what you have called us to be and to do so they can be living in the promises of God as well. Help us to fully obey and to share in the precious name of Jesus. You are Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I appreciate so much the loyalty of our listeners. I hope this episode has been a blessing to you. Subscribe and share, follow and like, and that way you'll never miss an episode and you can share it with others and they won't have to miss either. And head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got fantastic resources. Link is right there in the show notes so you can get Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, everything you need in your devotional walk. You can find it, PentecostalPublishing.com. Next week, we continue, and I believe we wrap up our series of Victory Through Faith with the story of Joshua. And I have so thoroughly enjoyed this story of Joshua. We finish it up with a an episode entitled, As For Me and My House, based on Joshua's signal sermon, Joshua 24, verse 15. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.